Let's get into today's teaching. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said the things, she told him all the things he had said to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that um, the things that are, are, are said right now through the scriptures, um, as we read, and uh, my words now would um, have a way through the power of your spirit to reach the heart of where we're all at uh, collectively and individually. And I pray that your spirit would do that. Do what um, I can't do, be physically there. You can be there, God. Do that. What we can't do, we can't actually be together, but Lord, in Christ, you can unite us. And we pray that that would happen supernaturally, mystically now. Um, I pray in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Well, what a, a strange Easter. We're all still in our own homes. Many of us can't see our families, mainly because it's not wise to travel or to expose our loved ones to anything we may have or may have been exposed to. And I imagine none of us dressed up for Easter. What I'm wearing is called a suit. People used to wear them when they went to in-person interviews and in-person weddings or once a year for Easter. And to be honest, it was actually hard to put on real pants this morning. This is such a strange Easter. And if you were one of those people who were like crushing it, doing so good, just like two weeks into quarantine, I imagine by now you're not doing that great. That's what I hear from a lot of people anyways, those who are really either enjoying quarantine for the first two weeks because you know, you're introverted or whatever, or you were filled with so much adrenaline that you just kind of kept going. By now you have joined the rest of us and you have hit a wall. What is this collective sadness or grief or shock we are all feeling right now? Even though celebrities and talk show hosts are trying to lift our spirits every day, I mean, if we were allowed to admit it and name it, what are we feeling? Kate Bowler, a historian at Duke University um, or Duke Divinity School, best-selling author of Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, was interviewed by the New York Times a couple weeks ago. And she said when she was asked to explain what she thinks we're collectively feeling right now, she says this, quote, I think it's painful for everyone to know that there's just not a lot of room between anybody and the very edge. It really does run counter to the whole American story. It's a story about how scrappy individuals will always make it. And it's a story about how Americans' collective self-understanding will always build something that will save the nation. And currently, both those things are not true. Everyone else in the world will suffer too, but I don't think they will suffer nearly the same cultural disillusionment because they don't have that account of exceptionalism. This is Easter in quarantine. Disillusioned, we're all in shock. It's been only a month now and we're still locked in our homes. And the world has shut down, like the global economy has shut down. International travel, sports, Hollywood, all shut down. And we're all just waiting for that moment like in the Avengers to happen when a team of scientists come bursting out of nowhere to defeat Thanos or COVID or whatever, but it hasn't happened. So we just stare off in the distance and say to ourselves, is this really happening? And another Easter sermon is upon us. What can we learn from the story of the risen Jesus in the time of COVID? What does the Easter story have to teach us and to say to us about life in quarantine? I think it has a few things to say. And they're centered around this, something very obvious from our text, but it, it actually can't be lost on us. And that is on two different occasions, after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were sheltered inside behind locked doors. Verse 19 and 26 say the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They were hiding, barricaded inside, sheltered in place out of fear. They didn't want what happened to Jesus to happen to them. They just saw that the, the most powerful rabbi who had power over sickness and ailment, who taught with authority and even had power over the weather. They just saw Jesus being crushed by the Romans and the Jewish leaders. 
and they were afraid. If they did that to him, what would they do to his followers? And so the disciples all hid in fear. They were locked indoors out of fear. They were afraid of an uncertain future. The fear in their lives in many ways um, was because their life had just ended. Their hopes were dashed. Their expectations were blown. But Jesus knows how to get through locked doors. The love of God knows how to walk through locked doors. In our text, it says that Jesus just walks through the locked doors both times. It doesn't say he opened the door. It says he walked through it and he stood among them. And he said, shalom. He said, peace. See, God's love can go through locked doors. It can enter closed hearts. It can breathe peace and new life into frightened and disillusioned persons like you and like me right now. What the resurrection of Jesus means is that God can go through the worst possible places. Literally, he can descend into hell, as our creed says, to get to lost, scared, hopeless people like you and me. See, most of us, all of us, I hope, are sheltered inside. And the reason we're, we're, we're inside is out of love for our neighbor. But also, I can't help but think of the hundreds of us who have put up barriers and walls in our own hearts, who have constructed doors with locks on them in our minds, all out of hurt and fear, despair, and hopelessness. These are the walls we use to keep people out, to keep the world out. We've done this emotionally. We've done this spiritually. Many of us have even done this religiously. We have walled out God and any real hope in him. We have put them up to protect ourselves from the harsh world and all of its trauma. We've locked doors. We've locked ourselves inside because of fear. I'm not necessarily talking about our living rooms anymore, by the way. I'm talking about what we've done in our hearts. Twice in our text, John presents the disciples as huddled behind closed doors, locked in because of fear. Twice in our text, it says that Jesus comes through the locked doors and stands in the midst of this frightened and depressed group and offers them peace. Now, I wanna say something about their fear here and how it's very relevant to what we're collectively going through right now. What these disciples, what, what these locked doors that the disciples were behind represent is their fear and their vulnerability. It actually represents, these locked doors represent their exposure and their weakness. See, just weeks before this, the disciples felt on top of the world. They felt like their life was impenetrable, untouchable. Now, why? Why did they feel this way? Well, because they were following Jesus. Jesus is a miracle worker. He's a Messiah. He could literally perform signs and wonders. He can outsmart any religious leader or any religious scholar. Think of what that must have felt like when you're following someone who can walk on water, who can cast out demons, who could smack talk the smartest people in the world. You're following him. You feel invincible. You feel on top of the world. But then the crucifixion happened and all of that was gone they realized just how vulnerable they were to the events of life and to the world. In, an, in the article I quoted earlier, 
Kate Bowler says that the reason we are all so disillusioned and consequently tired at 8 a.m. and lightly crying in our pajamas these days is because, quote, we've drunk too deeply from the wells of invincibility. The reason is we've all drunk too deeply from the wells of invincibility. Meaning just weeks ago, we thought the world was untouchable. Our hyper-connected, hyper-mobile global economy, our beautiful cafes, all of them impenetrable. And because we've drunk so deeply from those wells, a lot of us are spinning right now. Philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a book called A Secular Age, called by critics to be one of the most important books to be written in our lifetime. In it, Taylor compares the ancient worldview to our modern worldview and how this modernity, how it shifted into a secular age. And he says that one of the biggest shifts to happen into modernity, into secularity, was due to the way that we view ourselves. He calls it the poorest self versus the buffered self. He says in a pre-modern world, the, the people saw themselves as porous and modern people see themselves as buffered. He says that there was a time in history, in human history, when it was almost impossible not to believe in God or in the spiritual world beyond ourselves. And that was because humans saw themselves as porous, meaning pre-modern humans used to see themselves open to blessing or cursing that happened beyond themselves. They were exposed to nature, blight, plague, storm, etc., and they had no control of those forces. And thus, they had no control of their future. And thus, they had no control of their present. And so they were porous. They, were, they literally could be taken away at a moment's notice by war or famine or plague or drought, whatever. And so the world was not tamed to them. And so the pre-modern world felt like there was a thin space between our inner world and our outer world. Taylor said, thus, everyone carried with them a sense of vulnerability. And thus, everyone carried with them a sense of need for God or the belief in the spiritual supernatural. This is why everyone believed in God in the pre-modern world. However, the modern human sees themselves as a buffered self, a self that is bounded and self-contained. Meaning in life, um, I, meaning I create meaning, not Meaning is not found outside of me. Meaning is found inside of me. I create, modern people create their own meaning. We determine our own meaning. I determine who I want to be and the world is mine to tame, mainly because through the sciences, we have tamed the world. To put it plainly, the modern buffered self has drunk deeply from the wells of invincibility. We think we're invincible. But what our current global crisis has shown us, and by the way, it's, it's not just a medical crisis we're under, we're under a financial crisis, a job crisis, a global political crisis, et cetera, all in a matter of a month. And what this crisis has shown us, what we are feeling right now under the surface of Netflix binging and the belief, like our collective belief in the human spirit, what's, what's underneath all those feelings though, really, that we can't really put our finger on is that we're more porous than we thought, meaning we're more vulnerable than we thought. Not just individually, I think we learn our own individual helplessness through things like cancer and car wrecks. What we're feeling collectively as humanity right now is that we're more vulnerable as, a, as humanity as, than we thought. Globalism is more vulnerable than we thought. And in many ways, like the disciples, we too are locked inside out of fear. I know it's out of love, but it's also out of fear. Fear that we won't flatten the curve, fear that we could kill someone without even knowing it. The world is more vulnerable than we thought. So when Jesus makes his way, 
his way into the locked and vulnerable rooms of the disciples, he doesn't tell them, come out. He doesn't tell them, why are you locking yourselves inside here? Don't you see I'm risen from the dead? He doesn't say that. He goes inside and says this, peace be with you. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is recalling to their mind something he said just days before during the Last Supper. In John 14, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, when Jesus shows up and says, peace, he's not greeting them like, hello. He's not, he, he's not doing that. He's saying to them, my peace I give you. Not the world's peace, my peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, the difference between the two words of peace spoken by Jesus in John chapter 14 and John chapter 20 is that the current peace offered comes not from a Jesus who was under the threat of being killed like, the, like in John 14 in the Last Supper, but a Jesus who went through death and now is resurrected from the death from the dead on the other side, which means Jesus offers a kind of peace that comes from the knowledge that in spite of all the hurt and harm the world can and does inflict on you, Jesus can go through all of that and still stand in your midst, crucifixion and all, and say, peace to you. He is not a Lord who has not been through what you have been through. He is not a savior who has not felt loneliness and despair. He is not a creator who has not fully subjected himself to the worst that his creation can do. See, the one who offers you peace today is the very one who has endured the full force of the cross, meaning all human evil and the world's hatred, and yet now stands in your midst, risen indeed, and says to you and I, peace. And the peace I give you is not as the world gives, Jesus would say. It is not a sentimental peace, it is not a peace that is found in the balance of forces or the absence of war. It is not just a good feeling inside of us. It is not merely an absence of inner conflicts or the absence of a desire. The peace that Jesus gives is himself. Jesus is our peace. That's the point of this whole story. Jesus gives us himself. The point is that Jesus keeps showing up through locked doors, open tombs, and disillusioned travelers. He just keeps showing up because he's peace. And he shows up to us in our locked doors, in our chambers, in our fear. And he shows up and he says, I am the peace you're looking for. There's another story in Luke's gospel where after the resurrection, there's a couple who leave Jerusalem where the rumors of the resurrection are coming from. And they go back to Emmaus where they're originally from. And they're disappointed and disillusioned and discouraged. And so they just wanna go home. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, shows up on the road with them and just walks with them. The thing is, they don't know it's him. And this is, this is Easter. That picture right there of two despondent, discouraged, disillusioned disciples walking away and Jesus just showing up and saying, where are you guys going? See, the Easter accounts in the gospel are just a bunch of stories of Jesus showing up, people not recognizing him and him saying, peace, believe, don't be afraid. Now, what does this show us? Well, I think it shows us that maybe 
your life hasn't really been about you trying to find God. Maybe you're trying to find God in yoga, in meditation, in micro-dosing hallucinogenics, in whatever you do when you think you're trying to find God. Maybe that's not the story of the resurrection. I think we learn in the resurrection that it's the other way around. We're actually the ones traveling back to wherever we think we came from. We're actually the ones who are weeping next to gravestones like Mary. We're actually the ones locked behind closed doors. And God is coming to us. Jesus is the way God has moved toward us. We get this picture in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We get a picture of Jesus who stands at the door and knocks. And it says, whoever opens the door, Jesus will come in and dine with them or sup with them or commune with them. Sometimes God's love looks like that. Standing on the outside, like a gentleman asking to come in. But that's not the picture we see here in the resurrection. Jesus doesn't knock because he knows that sometimes we don't have the strength to open the door. We're too afraid. Or frankly, we may have forgot where the door even was. But love comes through locked doors. And this is what separates God's love from human love. See, human love, the dynamics of human love are unless a heart opens from the inside, human love can only knock and must remain outside. We know that with people who won't forgive us. We know that with family or friends who won't let us in. We know that with loved ones who have, who have struggled with depression and addiction, love can only stand outside and be asked to, let, to be let in. But that's not the case with God's love. And that's exactly what the story of the resurrection teaches us. God's love does not require that a person, especially a sick person, find the strength to make the initial move to open themselves to health. God's love does not require that we have religions all figured out and all the plausibility structures settled in our mind to start opening ourselves up to Jesus. And that's the reality of ultimate peace. That that's a peace that the world cannot give because there is no place, there is no height, no depth, no private hells, no personal sickness or even doubts that God cannot descend into to reach you. And that's the message of Easter. As we are all behind locked doors now, that the risen Christ knows how to get us. And because of that, though we are not physically together, the same Christ can unite us and make us one. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now as we um, are all now locked behind doors where we would typically be with family and friends or with a bunch of people in a room singing, all hearing each other's voices. I pray, even as we feel lonely right now, that you would go through the physical doors of our homes and meet us where we're at right now, on beds, on couches, on floors, wherever we're at, kitchen tables, wherever we're standing, wherever we're sitting right now. I pray even the locked doors of our own hearts that we've locked you out of maybe at years or months and we have not, not the strength to open the door. We wish we were that noble. We can open up and like, come on in Jesus, but we just don't have that strength. I pray that you would show up and say peace to you. Peace to you right now. And that your peace would abide on homes and hearts all over the place today. That the story of the risen Christ would ring true, that you've done it all. You've 
done it all. All victory, all glory belong to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.